Please, again, turn to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Esther, chapter 4. In the Old Testament, right before Psalms, uh, right before Job, rather, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Um, so if you go right in the middle of the book and then back up, a, back up a couple pages, you'll probably find Esther right in there somewhere. But while you're turning there, I want to point out that Esther is a very unique book. Uh, it is a very unique book. Anybody know why it's very unique? Um, no mention of the name God, not even close. There's some allusions, uh, but his name is not mentioned in there. Um, but more than this fact of trivia, if you, if you can call it that, there is very much for us to glean uh, from the pages found in this book that are surprisingly very relevant for us today. And, many, and of the many life examples for us to emulate in this book, there is, of course, the life of Esther, whom the book is named after, but also her uncle or cousin, uh, definitely her father figure. The Bible tells us that her father had passed away, and Mordecai, being a little bit older, took her in as his own daughter. Uh, so we find some things in his life that we can also emulate. Uh, and the direction and the title for this morning's sermon is found actually in Mordecai's words. If you look at chapter 4, verse 14, uh, at the end of that passage, we see whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So we're going to look at how Esther was raised for a certain purpose, for God's purpose, and she was poised, if you will, for God's purpose. In other words, this book records how God has divinely poised or had divinely poised or presented or placed Esther for his purposes, but also Mordecai and no doubt every other character in this book. And as we read through this book, we won't read all of it, um, but we'll read some of it. We will read and see that Mordecai argued that God specifically brought Esther to that kingdom there in Persia, and it is also evident this morning through reading the greater uh, passages of Scripture in our Bible here, and from experience, we know that you and I are also poised for something great. We are poised for God's experience. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 states that we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His will. So regardless of what's going on in the world, we are set for His purpose. We all have a divine purpose. In fact, I believe each one of us are poised, even in this very moment, even in the time we live, to serve God with a specific purpose that He has laid on our lives, that He has planned for us. And with that said, let's jump right into the text here. Look at verse number 1 of Esther chapter 4. The Bible says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, and we'll talk about what was done here in a moment, but when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Then was the queen, Queen Esther that is, exceedingly grieved. And she, rent, uh, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. And then called Esther for Hatak, uh, one of the king's chamberlains, 
whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. What's going on, Mordecai? Verse 6 says, So Hatech went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that happened unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the, tre- uh, for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave them a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Chusan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. And verse 11 says, And all the king's servants and all the uh, people of the king's province do know, she's telling Mordecai this, that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king, uh, come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his, the king's, to put him to death, uh, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told uh, to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth? whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today. We thank you for the reading of your word. We ask that you bless the reading of your word. Help us to to see what you have us to see this morning. Help me to preach what you've conveyed to me directly from your text and nothing more, nothing less. Lord, I thank you. Help us to, to focus on you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, with all the changes going on in the world today, I was thinking about this this. This mindset, this, these words from Mordecai to Esther for such a time as this. And with all the changes going on in the world today, redefining many things in the Bible. I mean, there is a lot of craziness going on. You watch the news for one minute, and you're like, what in the world is going on? I mean, we're talking about redefining marriage, even, even genders. We don't know what that is anymore. There's a lot of craziness going on in the world today. But with all those things going on, I think some of us, some Christians even, can easily conclude that we're just along for the ride. All these things are happening. The world is going crazy. This thing is going this way. This thing is going that way. We're just Christians. We believe. We know the end. Let's just ride it all the way to the end. And we are, we fool ourselves maybe sometimes to think we're only to bother ourselves with the things that directly come into contact with us, those things that directly concern us. An easy cop-out would be to say that, of course, these things are happening. The Bible says these things are happening, right? The Bible predicts these things. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.13, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Part of that verse kind of tells us that it's going to look like things are getting better, but in reality, the world is getting more wicked as the farther we go along. And then once all that is revealed, it's going to be very evident that that is true. And while you and I are certainly not for these things, we're not for evil seducers waxing worse and worse, we're not for deception and wickedness, we readily oppose such things in word and even in prayer, but we still many times sit back and just let the days go by. This is something Mordecai refused to do. He would not allow his daughter, if you will, to, uh, to do that. 
You, we will not sit by and let the days just go by. We're going to make a stand because God has raised us for a time such as this. We are poised for his purpose, just like Mordecai, just like Esther was, you and I have the same responsibilities. And if this passage in Esther has any relevance to us today, and I believe certainly that it does, each of us, every single one of us without exception, are purposely here to serve God in this time. In this time. This time. Poised for His purpose. And as believers, we are to serve Him no matter what. We are to serve Him even in the darkness. We are to trust His Word even when the world says otherwise. Even when the world says, oh, look at them naive Christians trusting that book that's written so many years ago. Let them speak. We will follow God. We will follow God. I believe that our existence and even the timing of our existence, it's not by chance. It's not by mistake. It is by design. We are here for a purpose, and that is His purpose for such a time as this. And to get a grasp of of kind of the times that Esther and Mordecai and the times in which they lived, I want us to look a little bit before chapter 4. Now, we know, most of us know the story of Esther, how God um, used a beauty contest, if you will, to raise up Esther. But God's hand, even though his name is not mentioned in here, God's name is over, uh, or God's hand, if you will, is easily seen uh, throughout the book of Esther. So prior to this, you all remember, um, King Ahasuerus had a, had a wife named Vashti, and he called her, he summoned her to come see the king. And Vashti says, no, nah, I'm not coming today. And he summoned her again, and she says, I'm not coming again today. So he divorced her. And there are some uh, who believe that, you know, by getting her out of the kingdom, some things worse happened to her. But she just leaves the pages. We, don't, we really don't know what happened. But he got away from, uh, he, he did away with her. And he, he called all the, the single women, if you will, in his harem. He was not a godly man. He was a Persian king. And he called all these people, Jews and Gentiles alike, all these uh, beautiful women. And he was going to have a beauty contest. And he picked Esther. And Esther became his wife. She became the queen. But during all that was going on, there was this enemy of the Jews, enemy of Mordecai. His name was Haman. Y'all read the story, right? Haman was a, not a Jew. He hated the Jews, and he hated Mordecai. He actually convinced the king um, a, a number of things, but first, that the Jews would bow to him, to, Mordecai, or to Haman. So Haman wanted his own pop and circumstance. He wanted to be the king, really. And he, passed, he got the, the, the king to pass this law, so to speak, that people would bow to him or give him the courtesy of the day. And when he walked by people, he expected those folks to stand up. But he walked by Mordecai one day, and Mordecai didn't stand up. He said, I'm not standing up to him. I bow to one man, one God. And he walked by him again a couple times. I'm taking some liberty here, of course. He walked by a couple times, and it just infuriated Haman, that Jew. They, they just serve their own gods. They don't want to serve the people here. So he takes that, that, that mindset, and he runs back to the king. He says, you know, Mordecai really represents all the Jews. Those Jews are not going to follow anybody. They only follow God, and they are a threat to your kingdom. You need to pass a law that annihilates all of the Jews. Sound familiar? This is way before. Uh, this is hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. So this is 500 years before Christ. And the, the, the king, King Ahasuerus, he actually signs a decree that within a year, all the Jews are going to be gone from the Persian kingdom. All the Jews. 
So Mordecai, when we, when we pick up verse number one, that's why he's sitting there. He's in sackcloth. He's in ashes. He's crying because he partly feels responsible because he didn't kneel. He, he wouldn't have kneeled anyway. But now all the Jews, because of this Haman guy, are going to be persecuted within a year's time. This Haman guy really did not like Jews. And it was mo- mostly uh, a, a sense of pride in his self-worth. And again, he just convinced the Jews, or convinced the king rather, that all the Jews were a threat to his kingdom. Look at verse 9 of chapter 3 in the book of Esther. Esther 3, verse 9, the, uh, Haman says, If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. Haman convinced the king to destroy the Jews. And in the next verses, the king confirms that with that decree. Now let me back up even further there. When Esther is in that beauty contest, Haman convinced her, do everything in your power to not show your Judaism. Don't let him know that you're a Jew. Dress like the Gentiles, if you will. And that's not a license for us to dress in how we want to. But it was for her life, and he believed that God poised her for his purpose. So here we are with this new decree that the king passes, and his queen will be a result. It'll be her death if this thing is carried all the way through. The king confirms this decree. So the complete annihilation of the Jews throughout the conquered world now under Persian rule was at hand. That's the, that's the mindset of, of Esther chapter 4. In the historical narrative of, of Esther's life, and even in Mordecai's life, I think we find a handful of truths that, again, are relevant for us today. And they will help us see our purpose in this life and one of the most basic but often misunderstood truths that I think that are found in here, that are often misunderstood even today, uh, is, is that God's grand purpose, God's grand purpose will not be thwarted. I think, number one, we see in chapter four, the sovereignty of God's will. The sovereignty of God's will. Notice again verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Deliverance is coming. Deliverance is coming. In other words, Mordecai believed that God's grand purpose for the Jews, it may be opposed, it may be threatened, it may be frustrated, but it's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. The scriptures cannot be broken. And speaking of those scriptures, as a devout Jew... Mordecai would have at least been aware of the many prophecies by the many prophets before him, if not very familiar with those prophecies. Time-wise, Mordecai lived after the 70-year Babylonian captivity. And right around the end of that, or up to maybe 100 years after that, but right around that time there, so he would have been familiar with the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. He would have been familiar with the life of Job. He would have been familiar with the life of Israel and all the kings that that God raised up from Solomon and David and so forth. He would have been familiar with the many prophets like Jonah, Micah, and even Isaiah. Why is this important? Because I think it uh, it helped Mordecai form a conviction. And because all those passages testify that the Jews are God's people, that God has a plan for his people, and it was that they were not to be annihilated in Persia. That was not in the writings. Mordecai didn't read those writings and say, oh, we're all going to die in Persia. If if that was the case, he would have not went through what we've read about. He had the text. He had the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. 
that seed hadn't come yet. The virgin in Isaiah 7.14 had, had not conceived and gave birth to a son named Emmanuel yet. The ruler whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting, according to Micah 5.2, had not yet been born in Bethlehem. The Jews, therefore, must be delivered. We are not going to die here in Persia because I believe in the sovereign will of God. The scriptures cannot be broken. Whatever God says will come to pass. It's going to happen. God is not a liar, nor is God confused with our circumstances. He's not confused. He knows the end from the beginning. And practically speaking, this litmus test um, alone rules out the majority of so-called prophecies even today. Because what God says will happen, will happen. We can mark it down. In Deuteronomy 18.22, the Bible says, God tells Moses to write, When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor does it come to pass, then that thing which is, then this is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. And furthermore, in Deuteronomy 13, the Bible states, If there arise among you a prophet, a dreamer of dreams, saying, Let us go after other gods, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Now, you might wonder, uh, not here in the book of Esther, of course, but you might wonder, why does God allow such things in our lives? Later on in that same chapter in Deut Deuteronomy 13, God responds with, to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We live in a wicked world. And God just allows many of these things with his grand purpose of allowing those things, the tares to exist with the wheat, if you will. But God has a purpose. Are we a part of that purpose? God continues in Deuteronomy 13 that ye shall walk after the Lord your God. Ye shall fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him, and I like this last part, and cleave unto him. Cleave unto God. You see, if all believers, and I come to this conclusion quite often, if all of us believers actually made it a point to only follow what God emphatically commands us to follow, namely his written word for us today, then our lives, our service to him would be so much more streamlined. It'd be a whole lot less confusion in our lives if we just followed the book. God is not the author of confusion, remind, uh, mind you, but he is the author of life and liberty. When my brother and I, he's, he's, he pastored a church, not me and him, but he pastored a church. We had a conversation uh, he, pastors, he pastors a church in Wyoming, and he's been there for about 10 years. He planted that church. It's a thriving ministry. I'm actually am going to preach there one Sunday uh, uh, here coming up soon next month. And uh, he's actually leaving the ministry now, or leaving that ministry and going into another ministry. And it was a hard, it was a hard thing for him to let that go. Um, very hard, and tears and prayer and all these things like that. And there was some confusion about maybe him going to a different church. Some other church had kind of extended a, an invitation to him, but there was a lot of baggage along with that invitation. And uh, he and I came to the conclusion, more him than me, you know, if this is God's will, it shouldn't be confusing. God's not the author of confusion. God doesn't lead us in a haywire. He leads us in truth. What's the, what's the passage say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still water. He don't lead us through craziness. Now, we might be in craziness. We might be in a fallen world in which we are, and it might be all crazy around us, but God's will is not confusing. It's always simple. He is not the author of confusion, but life and liberty. And we can be sure that Mordecai knew what God's word said, because there are no prophets in the book of Esther. 
We don't hear about people like Isaiah. We don't hear from Jonah and Ezekiel in the book of Isaiah. We read about Jews living in a foreign land. We read about Mordecai making life decisions based, based off the whole counsel of God that he knew, the Word of God, based off his knowledge of the Word of God. We see Mordecai trusting God. We see Mordecai fully persuaded that God will deliver the Jews one way or another. It's going to happen. Now, it might, there might be some damage, but all of the Jews are not going to be annihilated. Mordecai is convinced of that. He believed in the sovereignty of God's will, and so should we. So should we. In his word, God allows us to see some parts of this plan. He, see, he allows us to see some parts of this plan for us and for the world. And at the same time, he does not reveal some parts of his plan for us and for the world. But what he has revealed in this book it is accurate in every sense of the word. What he writes about the past is true. What he writes about the future is true. And the sovereign will of God is just that. It's sovereign. It's sovereign. It reigns above all. However, we only know what's written. Anything else is conjecture. We only know what is written. And what is written will most definitely come to pass. So very simply, whether it rains three Sundays from now, we have no idea. But I know the Lord's coming back because he's wrote this in here. So I can care less if it rains next Thursday unless I'm out in the yard working. I don't want it to rain. But it, more importantly, we can trust this because it's written in this book that Christ will return. It's not an unknown. He will return because he wrote it. What's our takeaway? Very simply, don't worry about the unknown. Don't worry about the unknowns in life. Don't get caught up in those unknowns and that mysterious, spooky side of things in life. Follow God and follow what's written in this book. Like Mordecai, be guided by what you know to be true in accordance with God's word. We just looked at it in the book of Psalms this past Thursday, how God elevates his word above his own name. His own name. This word will change your life and what's written in here will change many things. We are to make life decisions based on the authority of the Word of God, not on the situation in which we find ourselves. Later in the book of Esther, we will read that Haman built gallows to hang Mordecai. That's how much he hated him. But Mordecai, even through all of that, demonstrated more faith in God's sovereign will than in his own circumstances. Mordecai could have died. He knew that God would deliver the Jews, but he was not promised that he himself would be delivered. But he lived by faith and he trusted God. And he demonstrated his faith in God's sovereign will by doing so. You and I are to do the same. We are here, again, for a purpose. And many times that purpose, unfortunately, is in direct contrast to the things in this world. Even our own desires, God's will is in contrast with. So we must make it a point to live according to the known will of God and commit the unknowns to Him. Just let Him go. Like Paul, we must get to the point where we can say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. And back in our text here, look at verse 14 again in Esther chapter 4. Mordecai writes, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace, or he says, At this time then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. 
but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So in Mordecai's words to Esther, we not only see his belief in the sovereign will of God, get this now, we see his belief in the sovereignty of man's will. His belief in the sovereignty of man's will, namely Esther's. He believed that Esther had a choice in the middle of God's purpose. You might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can, how can God's will be sovereign and my will also be sovereign? How is that possible? To explain this, it's important to know that sovereignty is necessarily in accordance with our abilities and in accordance with our attributes. Ability and attributes guide our sovereignty. In other words, the sovereign will of God is bound to his ability and it's bound to his attributes. How do we know this? Well, in many places we read that God is holy. We read that God is sinless. And because he is holy and sinless as a description, he does not have the ability to be unholy or sinful. Now, that might sound like a little bit circular reason, so let me just give you this. For example, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, that he is truth. I am the truth. This fact limits his ability. This is an attribute. And Titus 1, 2 states that God cannot lie. Therefore, we conclude that one of God's attributes is honesty, which again limits his ability. God cannot lie because he's honest. So how does that fit into God's will? Because he cannot lie, the sovereign will of God will never include him telling a lie. It limits his will. Makes sense, right? Our sovereignty is also in accordance with our abilities and our attributes. And while God's attributes and and abilities never change, Ours do. Ours do. We are free to live in accordance with our abilities, and we are free to live in accordance with our attributes. Now, let me just pause there for a moment and talk about I have a sovereign will that's confined to my ability. In other words, I have a sovereign will, so I'm going to fly. Well, that goes beyond my ability, so my sovereign will will not allow me to fly. It will never be a part of my will, my purpose in life. I can also cannot save myself. As much as I want to do, I cannot present myself wholly before God. As much as I want to, it's not in my ability. You can even argue it's not even a part of my attributes without Christ. So our sovereignty is in accordance with our ability and attributes. But we do have a will. We have desires. We have our own purpose. You are in charge of you. I'm in charge of me. Nobody else. You will answer for you, and I will answer for me, and nobody else. Now, in reading this verse, there in in Esther chapter 4, we cannot overstate the significance of Mordecai's faith. He's sending his adopted daughter before the king, knowing the potential outcome. Think about that for a moment. He's sending his adopted daughter before the king, knowing that she might not come back. But for our purposes this morning, I want us to notice a phrase right in the middle of that verse. A phrase that he, no doubt, was emotional about for many, many reasons. Remember, there was a decree from the king that all the Jews were to be executed. And Mordecai's plan to overturn that decree included risking the life of his own daughter. He charged her in the middle of that verse to go in unto the king, to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before him, for her people, her people being the Jews, to make it known, number one, that she is in fact a Jew, and to go before the king to risk her life. But notice her response in verse 11. 
He tells her to do that, and she responds with, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his, to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in these 30 days. Some say Esther was scared. Some say she was just sharing the facts. Either way, there's clearly some apprehension to go before the king. Rightfully so. I mean, who would be encouraged to go on there when you might die? Her life was truly at risk. And the fact that she, as the queen, as the queen now, had not been in the king's presence for a month, for 30 days, that just adds to the stress. Now, we don't know how long, what kind of period of time there is, but it's significant because it's in the scripture. Some 30 days she has not been with the king. Maybe during this time the king learned that she was a Jew. Maybe he learned this after he wrote that decree. Maybe he learned that she was already doomed. Maybe she thought these things. What was she to do? 30 days. It's been silence. You know, silence is one of those things. We don't like the unknown. We fear the unknown. What if I go in there and what if, what if, what if the rest of our lives sometimes we what if? What was Esther to do? When Mordecai received this in a letter back through Hatak, would Mordecai now change his mind? Would his charge to go before the king change? Now we know the answer. Look at verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself. This is his daughter now. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Your life as my adopted daughter is worth risking. You may be the queen of the most powerful empire, my dear Esther, but you're a Jew. You're a Jew. You're a believer. And then verse 14 really really pulls that out. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall enlargement come from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth? Maybe you're here just for this purpose. Now we've already gleaned a little bit from this passage what God's plan is for the Jews. And that it will come to pass. But I want to see something here. I want you to see something here that I thought was interesting. Was not Esther given a choice? Did she have to walk in there? I mean, to save the Jews, yes, and all these things. Was she given a choice? You see, I believe God poised Esther for his purpose. Let me ask this question. Could God deliver the Jews without Esther? Absolutely. But he put her in a position where she could be used. You can probably see where I'm going with that. Can God do what he wants to do in this life? Absolutely. Can he do it without you? Absolutely. But he has poised you for a purpose in this life. God most definitely has a plan. And in his sovereignty, I love this, in his sovereignty, he created us after his image so that we can choose to be a part of his plan. What a God. Corporately speaking, God has a plan for His church. Corporately speaking, Jesus Christ has a plan for His bride. The redeemed are chosen in Christ, and the chosen are redeemed in Christ. And just like God promised deliverance for the Jews through unfulfilled prophecies in Esther's time, He promises deliverance today to all who are in Christ. That's a promise from God. 
each of us are poised for His purpose. We are each created for His glory, and God has a specific will for every single soul created. What's His will for you? You might ask this, what is God's will for me? It's one of the big Christian things. What does God have a plan for me? What's His purpose for me? What is God's will for my life? Well, I can begin by telling you what it's not. 2 Peter 3.9 states that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is for every single person to be saved, to know Jesus Christ, to trust Christ as your personal Savior. That is His will for your life. To go, to go against that is to go against God's will. To enter hell and burn forever is against the will of God. That's not His desire for your life. His desire is to live with you forever, with Him in heaven. God's will is for you to be saved. None of us truly meet God's holy standard. Romans 3.23 makes that very, very clear. We all fall short. And because, or but because God is not willing that any should perish, He gave His only begotten Son to bear our sins on that cross, to rectify our depraved condition, of falling short, so that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is the most simple thing this planet has ever heard of. The death of the Son of God for you and I. All we have to do is believe and receive. That is God's will for you. And like Esther, each of us have been poised to be a part of God's purpose. We have been given the ability to be a part of God's gracious plan. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. And if you have already chosen Christ for salvation, you are already redeemed. If you know for sure that if you died this for a moment, you'd be home with Christ, God has a purpose still for you on this planet. If you did not, or if He did not, why, why are we even here? The Bible is filled with verses that say we are created for His glory. God has a purpose for you. You know, the longer I serve Christ, the more I study this book, the more I realize that God wants to lead and guide me every day more for His purpose and for His glory. I am fully persuaded that God has a purpose for me. I am fully persuaded that God wants me to live out His will in my life. I'm fully persuaded that God's purpose for me is meant to be fulfilled by me. And not just in my life in general, but moment by moment. He just didn't have a great plan for me. Hey, I want you to grow up and be a preacher. I want you to grow up and be a soldier or whatever. That's not his, it may be a part of his plan. I'm convinced that being a pastor is a part of his plan. But his plan includes a day-by-day submission to his will, which we'll come back to. But not only am I fully persuaded that God has a purpose for me, I'm fully persuaded He has a purpose for you that is meant to be fulfilled by you alone in such a time as this. I mean, even right this very moment, what has God laid on your mind? Has God brought some loved one to your mind? Has has God brought, maybe get into the Scriptures more, be more committed to God's house? Whatever that thought is, that's part of God's purpose for you. What has He laid on your mind? I believe God has poised you this very moment for something that He has planned for you, this very purpose. Mordecai believed in God's sovereign will. He believed in the sovereign will of Esther. 
Now, we already looked briefly at God's will in contrast to our will. But in the next few verses, as we kind of wind down this, this morning, we're going to see something from Esther that we all can emulate, that we all can follow. Thirdly, we see the submission of man's will to God's will. The submission of man's will to God's will. Look at verse 15 of Esther chapter 4. Then Esther, remember the conversation now, hey, go to the king, but people to go before the king, they might die. Then Esther um, bade them return Mordecai this answer. And then he says, Mordecai, of course, um, responds with, you need to go anyway. Go, verse 16, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I'll, I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go into the, unto the king which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Wow. By the grace of God, Esther rose to the challenge of the day. If I perish, I perish. Have we ever come to that conclusion? Following the will of God. If I lose everything in my life, I mean all of it, if it all goes away, will I still serve God? If I perish, I perish. Esther recognized and believed that God had raised her up for a purpose. She even realized that following God in her case would be contrary to the law of the land. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? She knew full well the risk, but she gave those unknowns to God. She fasted and prayed. Her maidens fasted and prayed. Mordecai fasted and prayed. And from the text we see that she desired for all the Jews to fast and pray. Now that's a lot of fasting and a lot of prayer. But in the end, she counted her life a loss for Jesus Christ. Her whole life a loss for Jesus Christ. Complete submission. Complete submission. She counted her life a loss for God's will, for God's purpose. All that God wants me to do, if I perish, I perish, but I will be in the will of God. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul wrote that I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And in Galatians 2.20, says, I am crucified with Christ. You know what that means, crucified? I'm dead to self. I'm dead to all my desires. All that I am is for Jesus. I am perished for Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As Christians, with a purpose, we are never more like Christ when we are completely submitted to God's will, not our own. And that's in many facets. Jesus prayed in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, my, not my will, but thine be done. 500 years before the birth of Christ, Esther emulated our Savior by yielding her will to God at the risk of her own life. Now we know, again, the end of the story. Esther went in unto the king. She did. She went into the king, and the king showed her favor. He dipped the scepter, and she grabbed the scepter. After her entrance and after, that, after he met her again, he asked her this question in verse 3, the king to Esther, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? Why are you here? What's your request? It shall be given thee even to the half of the kingdom. I'll give you half the kingdom, whatever you want. And in the end, Haman, that wicked enemy of Mordecai and the Jews, he was hanged on the gallows made for Mordecai. And Mordecai 
was honored the way Haman wanted to be. Honored by the king and the Jews, no surprise to Mordecai, were delivered just like God wanted them to be delivered. And as we kind of come to a close, I want to say the reason this book is included in the holy canon of Scripture is because Esther believed she was poised for God's purpose and she acted upon it. Have you recognized in your life that God has a plan for you? Have you submitted to that plan? When I surrendered to go into full-time ministry, I had no idea what I was, that sounds bad. I had no idea what I was getting into. But I will say I was, I had no idea what God's plans were for me, but I submitted my will for him to do whatever he wanted to do. Have you recognized that God has a plan for you? Have you submitted your will to his? Yes, God's purpose in this thing or that will come to pass. We know that's going to come to pass. Missionaries are still going to be sent to certain countries. That certain person in your life may, uh, will still hear the gospel. The family that God has laid on your heart that, to help them financially, they're still going to be helped financially. That loved one's still going to be prayed for. That revival even will even occur with or without you if it's God's plan. But God has indeed raised you up, every single one of us, for a purpose in this specific day age, and time. Are you ready and willing to serve God? Have you come to the conclusion, not my will but thine be done, and if I perish, I perish. Let us pray.